As always, it is my pleasure and a privilege to open up God's Word with you today. So if you do have your Bibles with you, why don't you go ahead and open them up with me to, of course, the book of 2 Corinthians as we continue in our series together. Strength and weakness. Strength and weakness. God's treasure in jars of clay. Our series in 2 Corinthians, so that's the book of the Bible we are headed to, and we find ourselves already in the second chapter. We'll be wrapping up that second chapter today, verses 12 through 17. That is where we're headed. As you're turning there, though, I figured I'd give a little preview of our text. We're going to see in our text that odor can have a very powerful and lasting effect, can't it? Potent, you might say, uh, powerful. Let's be honest, there's some powerful smells out there. (laughs) Scent has the ability to trigger some pretty strong reactions from us, one way or the other. Uh, And I mean, we could talk about the good smells out there, there's plenty of them, but we can't even agree on what all those good smells are. I was talking to somebody after the first service, and she said her favorite smell, one of her favorite smells was dirt. I don't know about you, I don't really love the smell of dirt. It doesn't come to mind at the top of my list. And I think it's just more fun to talk about the bad smells, isn't it? (laughs) I I don't know. See, we can't agree. I think there's a range of smell when it comes to being bad, too. On one hand, you got just the, you know, sniff, sniff, something's a little off here. You know, but you can barely smell it. It's just kind of out there, you know. And then on the other hand, the other end of the scale, you're running the other direction, you know, gag reflex and get out, get out now. You know, it's really bad when it's not just uh, through your nose, but you can taste it. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, We've all been there before. We've walked by one of those cologne stands at the mall, right? Unmistakable, right? Well, There's some people out there, and none of us in here, of course, who are like walking cologne stands. (laughs) And for some reason, all these people are huggers. And you got to watch out for them, because once they get their hands on you, now you've turned into a mobile cologne stand for the next 24 hours. I think that's part of the magic, though, of a powerful scent, that it lingers. It lasts, even after the source of the smell is gone. Growing up, I, I spent a lot of time with my grandma and grandpa. We went to grandma and grandpa's house a lot for family dinners, and I loved being at grandma and grandpa's because I love my grandma and grandpa, both of which have gone on to be at heaven now, and I miss them very much. But there was this unmistakable and very unavoidable downside of going to grandma and grandpa's. And that was that my grandma smoked a lot. And so, so much so to the point that when you approached the door, you could smell it. And it wasn't just that it was a bad smell. It was that no matter how long you were there, whether you were there for five minutes or for a few hours, you left smelling like smoke. Your, your clothes smelled like smoke and your skin smelled like smoke. You smelled like smoke, even after having left. And now the crazy part about it is that I, I never once saw my grandma smoking a cigarette. She was really careful not to smoke around the kids. 
But of course I knew it because of the smell. The smell that stayed with me even when I left. Our text today says that our lives have a scent to them. The way we talk, the way we walk, the way we conduct ourselves, it it brings with it a noticeable fragrance that others pick up on and that stays with others when we leave them. We can give off a smell that, that draws people in or we can give off a smell that drives people away. What smell do you give off? In God's grace and wisdom, he has decided to use weak and frail people like you and me to spread his good news all across this world. That's an immense privilege. Jesus said to his followers, you, you are the salt and light of the world. It's your responsibility to show others what I'm like. He said to his disciples later, go and make more disciples. And we do that when we smell a lot better. It is an immense privilege. It's also an immense responsibility we've been given as Christians to represent the name of Jesus in a broken world. In our passage, we're going to find that Paul finds great peace and delight in this. That when it comes to the spreading of the gospel, this task that we've been given, it's not ultimately up to us as much as we're along for the ride and God is the one running the show, working through us. And that's good news. So when we find ourselves with what we're saying and what we're doing, preaching the gospel, which is what we're called to do, we find that God is working through us to spread his aroma of life, the aroma indeed of Christ himself, to all we come into contact with and who all who might receive it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Sound good? I want to pray and ask for God's help with our time together in his word. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pause before we jump into your word together to thank you for it. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for in it showing us what you are like, not leaving us to guess at who you are and your nature, but in this page, in these pages, you reveal yourself to us. We're so thankful, and that's our prayer that you would do just that this morning in this room, in our hearts, that you would show us anew who you are. Help us to see that clearly, to understand it, to see the, the part that you have for us to play in your work, that you plant the truth you, you have for us this morning deep in our hearts in a way that changes us, that you shape us to be like our perfect Savior, Jesus so that as we leave this place and we interact with those we come alongside, that we would smell like him with what we say and what we do. We need that work done in our hearts, Lord. We know that you're the only one who can do this. So we ask for your help for you to do just that. We pray, of course, in the name of Jesus and through the Spirit. Amen. All right, you got your Bibles? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12. This is God's word. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. 
So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So there you have it. You know, for such a short passage, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And we're going to get to it. But in order to understand where Paul is coming from here, well, we need to understand where Paul is coming from. What's, what's the context here? Where do we find ourselves in this letter? What's Paul's purpose for writing this letter? Uh, some of this is on the review section of your study notes, which I hope you received one of those and you'll find helpful as we go along together here. Paul in this letter is passionately so defending his apostolic authority, which apparently once again has come under fire in this church. And I say once again, because if you've been with us the past couple weeks in this series and in this letter, we've learned that this isn't the very first correspondence Paul has had with this church. This isn't the first letter he's written to them. It's not even the second or the third. Paul has spent a lot of time, he's invested a lot of himself into the ministry of working with these people in this church. His heart is for them. He goes out to them. He, his ministry with them started, he spent 18 months with them, a year and a half, living among them, teaching them the gospel, side by side with them. After he left, he, he sends them a letter and Later, when he hears back a report of things not going well and them sending him a letter asking him for further clarification, he, he sends another letter. And when he hears that things still aren't well, he, he goes himself. He leaves this great ministry that he's got going on at Ephesus. And he leaves that to go because there's crisis. And he wants to be there to help them for that. And the visit doesn't go so well. It's a painful visit. We're in chapter 2. In verse 1, that painful visit is mentioned. He says, I didn't want to make another painful visit to you referencing that first painful visit that he had to have. He had to confront sin, and it was messy, and there was conflict. This ministry was not easy for Paul in Corinth. It was messy, and yet he still stuck with them. His heart was heavy for them. He didn't just invest physical time and energy, which he did invest those things, but he invested a lot of emotional energy. And we know from experience that sometimes emotional energy can be the most taxing of all. And so what I, want, I just want you to hear all of that to understand Paul's heart and his history with these people. They haven't exactly treated him super well. There's been attacks on his credibility, on his character, on his identity as an apostle. And he keeps having to battle this, and yet he's not giving up on them. And to really hear his heart in his own words, let's back up a little bit to chapter 2, verse 4. 
And so after Paul makes this painful visit, he sends them what is referenced as the the severe letter or the tearful letter. And you'll see why as he references it right here in verse 4. So chapter 2, verse 4, he says this, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So this is him talking about this tearful letter that he's, that he's sent their way since before having written this letter of 2 Corinthians that we're reading. He sent this letter through a trusted coworker, Titus, who we see referenced in our text in verse 12, 13, uh, which helps us understand better what's going on. So this tearful letter, which Paul has agonized over and which metaphorically has tears on its pages because his heart is heavy for them. He sends that with Titus and, and makes a plan with Titus to meet up in Troas. So that's where we come, recognizing Paul. Remember, he says, I wrote to you not to cause you pain, but to show you this great love that I have for you. So we pick it up in verse 12. It's going to make a lot more sense for us now. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. Remember, Titus was the one who he had planned to meet with to hear back this report about the letter. He sent him forth with a letter. Now he was planning to meet up with him and hear, how did they receive my letter? How did they receive my painful visit before? How are they doing? Because he cares. He has abundant love for them. So apparently Titus wasn't coming to Troas at least in time for Paul, he was impatient. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia, he says. So again, Paul apparently had these plans to meet up with Titus, who he sent forth, uh, to come back, give me a report, we'll meet up in Troas. That seemed to be the plan. And as it says in your study sheet, though, Paul is never shy about his task, what he's up to. He wasn't just going to sit around on a, on a park bench or relax in his hotel room in the hot tub waiting for Titus to come and meet him with this report. No, he says he, he went to Troas, yes, to meet Titus, but, verse 12, to preach the gospel of Christ. Paul was there to preach Jesus, to point people to Jesus. Paul was there on mission. That's the first fill-in on your study sheet there. And so when he's there, again, to meet Titus, but on mission, Paul does this amazing thing for him and opens up a door for his ministry to advance, for the ministry of the gospel to advance. And so if you're Paul, what more could you have asked for? And I have no doubt that Paul did ask for this, that he prayed to God and asked for him to open up a door, a window of opportunity in Troas for the preaching of the gospel. And guess what? God does it. He answers this prayer. But we need to understand and pay careful attention, I think, to why God does so. What is God's purpose in opening this door? The context, of course, of God opening a door here is is directly connected with Paul preaching the gospel of Christ, as he says he does in verse 12. He says he's come to preach the gospel of Christ in Troas and connected with that, Paul, excuse me, God opens a door for him. He opens a door for that mission to go forth. And and I bring that up because sometimes I think we can use the same language in our prayers of asking God to to open up a door for us 
but about things that, in my mind at least, are unrelated to the big picture of what God is doing. We're not so much thinking about what God is doing in his purposes, but about our plans and what we want when we ask for God to open a door. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask for open doors. We should. And what good news it is that our God is a God who does open doors. God gives us many blessings, and he creates new opportunities for us all the time, ones that we don't even ask for. But we should remember why he does so. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. You see, God opens doors that advance his purposes, not ours. And so we want to keep that in mind. It's a good thing that God does what he wants and not what we want. Because he knows so much better than us which doors to open and which ones should remain shut. And so when we pray for open doors, we want to be mindful of what God is doing, what his purposes are, and remember that his purposes come first above ours. And then when he does open a door for us, we're mindful that he then has purpose in doing so. And we should be sensitive to what that is and what our role is in it. So again, he blesses us so that we can bless others. That was more of an aside. Now back to Paul. So here Paul was. God has just opened up this door of ministry for him in Troas for the progress of the gospel. And Troas was a very strategic place for the gospel to be preached because it was a port city. So people coming in and out, travelers, this could be a very strategic location for the gospel to go forth. And I'm sure that Paul was, was beginning to see fruit there from his labor, that, that he was seeing the gospel being received, a receptive response to the preaching of the gospel. He was seeing hearts being changed. And yet, in the midst of all that, Paul's heart, at least on some level, was elsewhere. He keeps thinking about these messy, dirty Corinthians. His heart is with them. So we pick it up in verse 13. My spirit, Paul says, was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. It wasn't that his heart was with Titus. His, height, his heart was with the Corinthians. And Titus represented the report about how the Corinthians were doing. Make sense? He says, I'm not at rest because I can't wait to hear this report. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So even though God opens this shiny new door uh, for, for ministry opportunity, Paul decides that he can't wait any longer for Titus to come and meet him. So he heads to Macedonia, meaning that uh, Titus was going to come up through Macedonia and then over to Troas. And Paul's in Troas waiting. He goes to Macedonia to intercept Titus at a sooner date to try to get this report faster. So that's why he goes to Macedonia. He, he turns his back. He says goodbye to an open door because his heart is heavy in Corinth for the Corinthians. So here again, if we remember all of the letter that we've read so far up to this point, we, we find another example of Paul changing his plans and 
you know, saying with the ministry partner Titus in this case that he's going to do one thing and then does another and is going to try to intercept him in Macedonia. And if you remember in chapter one, this is something that the false teachers in Corinth had accused him of doing. They were attacking his credibility that he was wishy-washy and he was unfaithful to his word. And he said he was going to come and visit us in Corinth and then he didn't. In their minds, it was like if Bing Crosby didn't show up for Christmas. You know the song. I'll be home for Christmas. Then what do you say after that? You can plan on me or count on me. Yeah. So they had made plans that he was going to come and visit them. And then he just didn't show up. Now, Paul had a reason for this. And he defended himself in chapter one and explained, hey, guess what? My plans aren't really my plans at all. They're God's plans. And that's what he's saying here. Is that the plans that I have? They're directed by somebody else. So I put that on your study sheet there that Paul's vacillating, so-called, by these false teachers between plans was, was not a sign that he was unfaithful to his word, but that he was faithful to his God. And I think that we can learn from his example. Paul held his plans. He went through his life holding the plans that he had. He made plans. He communicated those plans. He mapped them out, but he held them with an open palm. He remained ready to change course if, if God so directed him. And he remained sensitive to God's leading in his life. And sometimes I think we can hold on to our plans so tightly that we become our own navigator. We become the one calling the shots. We begin to steer our own ship where we want to go rather than where God might want us to go. And so we need to be careful not to do that. Friends, God's plan is always better. It's always better. So let's follow Paul's example. When we make plans, we should make plans. We hold them loosely with an open palm and, and we remain sensitive in making our plans to how God is leading us and what he would have us do. And then we remain ready if he should ask us to, to change those plans. We, we hold them loosely, we give them back to him, and we receive the next ones he has for us. And I think Paul models this well for us, and of course for his original readers. He wasn't intending to be unfaithful to his plans. He was following God's leading in his life. But I think that if I was Paul, it would be pretty hard for me to, to leave this great opportunity in Troas this nice, open, green pasture ready to be harvested, this, this wonderful new opportunity. And to leave that and go deal with messy, ugly, hard church conflict stuff that he's been dealing with over and over and over again with these people that don't seem to get it right. Think about all the, the pain the Corinthians had caused him. He, remember he said his last visit there was painful. For them, for him. The, the tears that he shed over this letter shows how difficult his relationship with them was. Think about how slow the progress had been with them. I mean, it would have been really easy for him to just shake the dust off his feet and be done with them. But that's not what he did. He could have looked on to this great opportunity in Troas and said, you know what, this is a really good thing going. God's got something going here. I'm going to keep going. He didn't do that. 
in our enthusiasm, I think sometimes we get caught up in the, in the concept of ministry, meaning what it could be like, dreaming of, of perfection and that the grass is greener over there if we just do X, Y, and Z. But I think Paul's unrest, his, his heart for the Corinthians, and the fact that he didn't give up on them, it reminds us that, that ministry isn't about programs or the next best strategy out there or numbers. It's about people. Real people and real hearts. And that means that it's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be unpleasant like we learned last week when we talked about church discipline. Painful visit and painful letters. It's going to be hard. But despite all that, Paul stayed the course. And he didn't give up on messy people. And we shouldn't either. Why? Well, because we're messy too. And God doesn't give up on us. In fact, God uses our brokenness, our very brokenness, to display his beauty and love. And that brings us to verse 14. Let's read that together. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Let's put ourselves back in Paul's shoes for a moment. We might expect him from a human perspective to be super bummed out or even angry about having to leave this wide open door of of great ministry opportunity to have to deal with these sinners who don't get it right and who just can't seem to respond well to my teaching and what I'm trying to tell you to do. I probably would have felt those things. And, And I think Paul probably did feel those things. But yet, he's still able to say, thank you, God. Thanks be to God. How? How can he say that in the midst of such strife? Well, I think because Paul understood that when it comes to the spread of the gospel, it's not up to us ultimately. God is the one running the show. He's the one who gets things done. Look at the verbs in this verse, uh, verse 14. Of course, God is the subject, so the verbs represents what he is doing. But thanks be to God who in Christ always, first verb, leads us in triumphal procession, and through us, second verb, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. God leads and God spreads. He says Paul le- uh, God leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads this fragrance of the gospel everywhere. Every Christian, every Christian is called to the task of spreading the good news about Jesus. But Paul thanks God that it's not we who ultimately do the leading and the spreading, but God is the one who performs these verbs, leading and spreading. And that's good news. And to illustrate this, he he gives us a pretty jarring picture really he describes christ like this conquering hero like a a conquering roman general who returns into his homeland into a city where there's this parade ready for him and they parade through the city people are cheering for him and and there's this processional and it's all pointing to this conqueror and how great he is and the victory that he has had 
So, okay, nothing out of the ordinary there. But what's interesting, what's striking in this illustration is how Paul describes Christians in this parade. We might expect or hope that we might be in this parade the, the faithful soldiers next to the general Christ. And we've fought alongside him and fought for his cause. And so we share in the triumph and the victory. But Paul actually describes Christians as the defeated captives who are marched through the town to be executed at the end of the parade. The captives who were paraded around, displayed for all to see that they were defeated, that they were captive, that they they were less than the general, that they were defeated, but he had won. You see, the purpose of these prisoners being kept alive, the only reason they were kept alive is to go through this death march to point to, to bring attention to the conqueror, his glory, and his victory. And Paul says that's just like the Christian life. Our weakness is paraded around in life so that others can see how great our God is and how glorious he is. The Christian life is about pointing to Jesus and showing how awesome he is. That's what Paul is saying. He's re-emphasizing his major theme in this letter. It's the title of our series. Paul's strength, excuse me, God's strength, his power is displayed not in our strength, but in our weakness. That's where God's power really shows up. There are times where we think we're strong. We incorrectly so believe we're strong. Or, or maybe there's times where we think we need to project strength. We need to pretend to be strong. But the Bible calls us to be in touch with the reality of our weakness. Being a Christian and a witness for Christ doesn't mean we, we need to be perfect or pretend to be. It's not about what we do as much as it is about what God does in us and through us. That's what is most on display when we are weak. God's strength. The point of serving Jesus in this parade of life is not so that people will look at your life and say, wow, what a mighty soldier for Christ. But that they will look at you and say, wow, what a mighty God. And that leads us right into the second part of this parade illustration that Paul uses. Pretty jarring, yeah. The second part is that in these Roman parades, a part of the processional would be the burning of incense. So there was this aroma that would go out, and it was intended to represent the sweet smell of victory. It would accompany the parade, and even after the parade had left, that smell of victory would linger. And Paul says that God uses us, Christians, to spread the aroma of Christ's victory to spread his aroma all across this world, everywhere, he says. Let's pick it up again in verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And here's the part about fragrance. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Keep reading in verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. 
We are called to preach the gospel. And as the gospel is proclaimed in our lives, it looks like this. What we say, yeah, we can use the words of scripture. We can use the name of Jesus. We can't preach the gospel without talking. But it's also with what we do. Both work hand in hand. And it's not just about having a conversation with your neighbor, your next door neighbor about Jesus. It's the ongoing testimony of your life. How you walk, how you talk. Does it preach the gospel of Christ? And as we do that, as we preach the gospel through what we say and what we do, this passage says it's like the fragrance of Christ spreads. It spreads. And even after we leave a place, it lingers just like powerful fragrance does. We can also assume the opposite is true then. That if we claim to be a follower of Jesus, but our lives look nothing like him, then we won't be drawing any to him. We'll be, in fact, pushing them away. Do you feel the weight of this responsibility? As a Christian, you are tasked with representing the name of Christ. And make no mistake, people are watching you. Or should I say, smelling you. (laughs) Your life has a scent to it. Does it draw people in? Or does it push them away? As I thought about how to describe this concept more, uh, a thought occurred to me. And I, I sent a text to my oldest sister, She was born without the sense of smell. She's never been able to smell. And I asked her, how do you understand these verses? And I I sent her one of those thinking emojis. And this is what she sent me. Smell is linked so much to nostalgia. It transports people immediately to a time or feeling or emotion. Then she said, as if I know, LOL. (laughs) She said more. It's what people feel from us when we are around them and how they feel when we leave. Have we entered others' company and exuded love and kindness? And do they leave feeling the very love of Christ from us? I think that's so beautifully stated. So from now on, I I think I'll text Krista when I I need a good quote for my sermon. (laughs) Do we leave people feeling the very love of Christ from us? And as beautiful and nice as this all sounds, the truth is, this is a hard task. It's hard to love people. We'll get tired. Tired of the busyness of this life. We pack our lives tired of living in a broken world, it can wear us down. Tired of loving people who don't seem to change. In the midst of all this, it it won't be our love that sustains us, but God's love that never runs out, that never gives up on us. That's the only well of love that never runs dry. And when we get frustrated and tired and weary, we must remember what Paul did here. 
that God is the one who leads and God is the one who spreads. He will do this work with us or without us. Graciously, he chooses to use us to do it and we get to be along for the ride. We should take that role seriously. But Paul recognized a sad truth that we can confirm through our own life experience that when people smell the aroma of Christ, it doesn't mean they're automatically receptive to it. They're not automatically receptive to him. Let's pick it up in verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? The truth is that many will hear the gospel and reject it. So Paul asked the question, who then is sufficient for this task of preaching the gospel, of trying to save these souls? Well, the truth is that none of us are. That's the intended answer. No one, not one of us is up to this task on our own power. We can't convince someone to follow Jesus. We can't talk anybody into changing the affections of their heart. No, it is only God's power that can change hearts. And thank goodness he does. He has changed ours. And this gave Paul, who was weak just like the rest of us, it gave him great peace in knowing the task in front of him. He found great peace in resting in the one who leads the way, the one who's running the show, the one who's spreading this aroma ultimately through us. It's God. He's the one who uses our weakness, who uses our smell to bring others to him. And that's great news. So as we prepare to close this morning, I, I'll direct you to the responding to God's word section on your study notes there to the, to the second question. Have you breathed in deep? I mean, really breathed in deep the aroma of Christ. What has your response been to the person of Jesus? Do you know him? What is your response to the gospel? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says that he is? That he is the way, the truth, and the life? Do you believe that he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, knowing you never could, that he did that for you? Do you believe that he, he paid the price you could never pay for all the bad you've ever done, all the bad you'll ever do, all the good you've failed to do and all the good you will fail to do, that Jesus paid that price for you, knowing you could never do so? Do you believe he rose again, defeating death and the grave, offering to you new life, knowing that you could never do so for yourself? And do you believe this? that he has the power to make you whole, to change your heart, to make you love what is good and hate what is evil, and that someday he will make you completely whole, healed, at peace, at rest, finally.
knowing that you could never do this for yourself. Do you believe that? Do you believe in Jesus? He is our Savior from sin and the Lord of all. And if you don't know him this morning, nothing I can say can convince you. I can't change your heart. But I can pray to the one who can. And that's exactly what I want to do right now. So if you'll all stand, we'll close together in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who opens doors. For those of us who know Jesus, we know you have opened a door in our hearts to receive him. Our prayer this morning is for those in this room, for those perhaps listening online who may listen later, who don't know you. God, you open their heart, make their heart soft to receive you, to believe on you, knowing that you are the only one who can do this work. We are so thankful for Jesus. We are so thankful that heaven is not just real, but that it's attainable because of him. That, our, that is our hope, that you can change our hearts. You can deliver us from evil. We're so thankful for this great hope. We're so thankful for Jesus. Our prayer is that for those of us who know him as we leave this place, that you help us to smell like him. Help us to show others what he's like. We need this help to do so. So we pray your power is displayed in our weakness in this way. We pray all these things knowing you can do them and that you listen to our prayers as we pray them. 